Hey, I've never been to First Baptist Church. Well, I'm glad to be with you tonight. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to have a message tonight called, Therefore, and that's going to be our subject. And what I want to do is I want to read the passage to you uh, as a whole first. Then we're going to come back and look at it and see the application. We're talking about the idea of revival. Uh, revival is about really taking some analysis on our own life and where we're at. It, it helps us to consider about what is the energy of our life. How, how are we doing with that? And so I, I want to encourage you to think about where you're at and where you're at in your spiritual life and uh, understand that God's designed for us. First Thessalonians says this is the will of God that you experience sanctification. Progressive sanctification, spiritual growth, ongoing. It's the same thing as the pursuing holiness. It's the same thing as what we call spiritual growth. It's the same thing as what we talk about, walking with the Lord. And, and sometimes uh, uh, we, we stop moving forward. And I want to talk to you tonight about uh, moving forward and using a uh, motivator. Do you ever need motivation? Man, I do. I need to be motivated sometimes. And so we've got a passage, I think, that will give us some motivation. I'm going to read the passage to you, and then we're going to talk about how this passage speaks to us to motivate us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you've got any kind of good Bible background and thinking, you know that the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is the resurrection chapter. It's everything about the resurrection. At first, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then it talks about the resurrection of the believer from the dead. So let's start reading, though, just at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, or the mortal doesn't inherit the immortality. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's just pray just a second. Father, I pray that you'd open our minds to the things that will encourage, inspire, and stir us spiritually for a new direction, a new step forward in our spiritual lives. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. If you look at my outline up here, our world is a world and a culture that's in growing 
increasingly secular. Uh, secular kind of means, uh, man, I've got to put it in words that I understand. Secular means kind of pushing the supernatural, the spiritual, the Lord, the Scripture, the Bible, biblical principles to the side and just sort of having a humanistic culture and society. It's kind of the place that we're in. Uh, it, it calls for uh, a, a thinking that's really uh, temporal thinking. Uh, that's all there is uh, to life. It's just the, the physical life, the physical experience. And when you're dead, you're just like that armadillo you hit on the highway last night uh, when he ran out in front of your car. That's it. That's it. It's all over. There's nothing else at all. The Bible speaks a lot about this tension that's in us, even when we understand things, about getting too focused on the temporal, the, the secular, the, the, the things that leave out the Lord and leave out uh, the supernatural. Sometimes we get in problems, we get so worried we can't trust the Lord, we can't trust His Word, we have to, we have to uh, wring our hands and worry ourselves down and try to get control, try to get control. Any control freaks in here? Okay, we won't even go there. Okay, so those are the types of things that happen. And the Bible speaks to this a lot. One of, my, uh, one of the uh, uh, accounts in the book of Genesis that I, I, I find really interesting is the account about the patriarchs. If you look at the book of Genesis, you've got four great events, then you've got four great patriarchs. And you've you got uh, Abraham and Isaac, and then you have Jacob, and then you have Joseph, and a big part of the chapters of Genesis are about those four guys. But uh, uh, Isaac had those twins, you know, Jacob and Esau. And Esau should have had the birthright. Esau was the firstborn, but he was too much of a temporal thinker. You remember what he did? You know, uh, Esau, Esau was uh, outdoorsman. His daddy liked him. He was an outdoorsman. He played linebacker on the high school football team. Uh, he, 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 he rode a motorcycle. Uh, he always got in fights at school. Uh, he, was, uh, he was tough. He was intimidating. He liked to hunt. He liked to go out and, and uh, uh, get the meat and bring it in. And then he had this brother, uh, Jacob. And Jacob was, he stayed home with mom in the tent and watched cooking shows. You know, uh, he, uh, he, he, you know he was kind of soft and that kind of stuff. And he really wasn't into things. And, and you remember... Esau came in from the field one day, and man, he was hungry, and he hadn't gotten anything. And uh, Jacob was in the cook tent, and he was cooking Texas chili. And man, the smell was just going out, the onions and the peppers going out of there. And he came in, and he said, man, I am hungry. He said, well, you get, brother, will you give me a bowl of that? And he says, if you'll give me your birthright, I'll do it. And he said, basically, I'm paraphrasing, can't eat a birthright. Give me the chili. And he sold his birthright. Over in the book of Hebrews, it says, Look out, lest there be those who fail the grace of God. And, and one of the things that was in the list, besides uh, bitterness, a root of bitterness, or immorality, was to be a, a temporal man like Esau, who let the spiritual stuff go by. We've got to remember how precious the spiritual promises of God are, and it requires us to engage that by faith, to know that these things are dynamic and real. And so in our culture, it's not necessarily a rejection of the Lord, but a strong doubt 
And the idea is that the spiritual life and the purpose that God presents in biblical Christianity is really worthy of our energy, uh, of our priority, of, uh, of, of first things. Let's go over here. It, it's very basic, and it's often forgotten. And we, we just read the passage out of that 15th chapter about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is a motivator. I know this isn't Easter Sunday, but the resurrection is a motivator. If you stop and think about it, everything rests on two doctrines in the Bible. Everything rests on two doctrines. Here's the first one. The first thing that your Bible rests on is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if that's not true, we have big problems, don't we? In fact, I would tell you today, that's the most hated verse in the Bible, I think, now. In the beginning, God created time, space, and matter. And that's a fact. The second doctrine in the Bible that's foundational, and the New Testament rests on it, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, just stop and think about it. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he is, okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with you just like, like I'm just pretending you're arguing with me, okay? If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, then... Uh, who he says he is, that's who he is. No, go back. I'm sorry. I pointed to the screen. I'm throwing my, my buddy off out here. We'll try again. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus, his person is established, that he is the Son of God, that he's God in the flesh. Hey, if you can resurrect from the dead, can you imagine uh, Sunday, uh, next, next Thursday, one of your best buddies dies and they have their, their funeral on Thursday? Next Thursday. They die on Monday. You can get the funeral done by Thursday. And, uh, you, and they're a good friend of yours. And you go out to, to the funeral. You have it here at the church. The casket sits right here. And then you go out to the cemetery and you bury them. And uh, then, and then you, this is what happens. This is real life. Everybody eats chicken and then goes on with their life, okay? So you, you eat the chicken with the family and you go back home. And it's Sunday morning. And you come to church and you go to your Sunday school class. And here they come walking in the door. That's not even possible, is it? You go, was that a dream? What happened? That isn't going to happen, is it? Dead is dead, right? Death is the great victor, the great overcomer, the great spoiler. Death is definite. It's not going to happen. But I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross and they buried him. And three days later, Jesus came walking into the house where the apostles were. He is resurrected from the dead. If you can resurrect from the dead, you can possess and overcome all things because death is the big finality. So if Jesus is risen from the dead, his person, everything he taught, you're going to argue with a guy who's resurrected from the dead? Everything he taught, his promises, the, the cross is validated. If Jesus dies on the cross and doesn't resurrect on the, from the dead, I want you to know that dying on the cross is not easy, it's painful, but anybody can do it if there's enough people forcing you. He died a substitutionary death. He, he died a vicarious death. But it's the resurrection that validates it and says it's so. He paid for your sins and took the wrath of God upon him, and his resurrection proves it. Even the scriptures are validated by his resurrection. Jesus talked about the scriptures. He talked about Old Testament characters. He talked about Old Testament situations. Then he turned around the 16th chapter of John and told the apostles how the Holy Spirit would come and stir in them 
to remind them of what they heard and saw so they would write what? The New Testament. Everything is on that resurrection. Let's go to the next slide. Now, let's go back and look at it again. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. People get, take that verses out of context, and sometimes people take that verse out of context and apply it to the nursery and say that we may not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. Did that hit the back wall back there? I don't know. Okay. But in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will all be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. Go to this next slide. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, that's where we're headed to talk about that one word. Therefore, give me the next slide. The 15th chapter as a whole is about the resurrection concept in the Christian faith. It's everything you always wanted to know about the resurrection. Uh, if you want to understand resurrection, just study 1 Corinthians 15. Start at verse 1. It goes all the way through. It tells you about Christ's resurrection, what it means if Christ is not resurrected, who saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, the power of the resurrection, and then it goes to our resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And it, it's really not that it's, it's really not that overwhelming to embrace the concept. I, I could put a stack of books for you right here. Frank Morrison, Who Moved the Stone? Or uh, The Case for Christ. Or uh, C.S. Lewis, Surprised by Joy. And, and others who set out with their lives to determine that Christianity wasn't true. And in their investigation of Christianity, came to the resurrection. And when they came to the resurrection, they said, The evidence is there, really that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is that foundation. I'm sorry, go, go back. Okay. It's more, the idea of dying in the Lord is more than just going to a spiritual place. It's more than even being forgiven of your sins. Isn't being forgiven of your sins wonderful? I hope you're resting in that. I hope, number one, you have been forgiven of your sins, and I hope you're resting in that. Uh, if, you're, if you're messing up with your life, with your relationships, if you're not walking with the Lord, you're not growing, you're, you're going to lose that joy of being able to rest in the fact that you belong to God, that God knows you, and he does, and that your sins are forgiven. It's beyond death. Your resurrection is the final step in your redemption in Christ. And this passage has... An astonishing claim. You, you need to realize that uh, when, when you were saved, the, the biblical word, what we Baptists say we get saved, don't we? We get saved. That's what Baptists talk about. I still say get saved. I try to be sophisticated, can't get away from it. We get saved, all right? The, the, the technical term for that is justification. To be justified, to be made right with God, and uh, to be saved from the guilt 
not the feeling of guilt, guilt. You know, you don't go to court for doing a crime and the judge says, do you feel guilty? He doesn't care whether you feel guilty. If you're found guilty, you're guilty. We're saved from the guilt and the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Hell, justification. I'm saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. And then after we're saved, we come to know Christ, then we find ourselves in the process of progressive sanctification. That's spiritual growth. He wants us to grow. He wants us to change. We want to be saved from the power of sin and failure in our life to fulfill our purpose and our relationship with God, and we grow spiritually. Then when we die, there's something called glorification. And at the resurrection, we know not what we'll be, but we know we'll be like him, like Jesus, according to 1 John. Glorification. And justification is great, but you're not done yet. You're, you're saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. Uh, it, this doesn't change anything about eternal security. We're justified. But the sanctification is something we need to carry forward. And the glorification is the final step in it. We ain't cooked until we're walking in glory with the Lord in a new body. On a new heaven, under a new heaven, and on a new earth. Glorification. And so this resurrection thing becomes... Very important. Let's look at this. Life in this world is hard. There's nobody in this room you haven't had tears and weeping and had your heart broken. There's nobody in here. Uh, I don't, you know, maybe if you don't get out of bed ever, except for revival meetings and go somewhere, but if you have relationships, tears, weeping, guilt, regret, do you know Many of you think about regrets about things you've done every day, and you have guilt about it. And when I start talking about it like this, you start thinking about it, stuff that you're ashamed of, guilt, regret. I want you to know something. You are not alone. That's what happens to us in this life. Heartache, losing hope, day to day, getting by in this life. That's a reality. But there's a therefore in that verse 58 that we got to think about. Uh, the word therefore means for this reason, for this reason, or the word therefore means because of that, because of that. Paul, Paul did that a lot. Uh, he, 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 when he would write, he would have that transition word therefore. Uh, one is in like, uh, if you look at Paul's letters, He'll do the theological part first, and then he'll do the application part second as he writes it. And sometimes he uses that word, therefore, uh, not in this case necessarily, but he'll use that word like, he, in Romans, all that great theology, and then in chapter 12 he says, therefore, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He crosses over with that. He says, therefore, he says, give your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world. Therefore. And we have a therefore in this passage. It means for that reason, because of that, because of this subject. He's going to say, be steadfast, firmly established, immovable in your faith and in your calling. Let's go to the next slide. Many are immovable in their love for the world and temporal values even in the church today. 
And we should always be abounding in the work of the Lord, just like that passage says. But what did the passage talk about? Let's go back. We read it twice. Let's, let's go back and think about it. What is the passage talking about? He's saying, when you die in Christ, not in your sin, when you die in Christ, if you don't, if Jesus isn't your Savior, you'll die in your sin. If Jesus is your Savior, you'll die in the Lord, okay? You die in the Lord, we're going to go out to the cemetery, and we're going to uh, put your body in the ground. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the day will come, resurrection day will come, and that body will be resurrected from the dead. Now, this is not symbolic or allegory. Uh, many within the boundaries of what we call the Christian faith today, uh, just it's too much for them. They can't believe that. They want to spiritualize it. There's nothing in this passage that says that we should spiritualize this. I fully expect to walk on a new earth and see my mother, relatives, loved ones, friends, voices that are familiar, see them, know them, recognize them, relate to them. I fully expect a very real, dynamic, stimulating, happy, purposeful, eternal existence in a new body that won't fail me. Have you noticed your body failing you? I think that's why, I think that's why Paul calls it a tent in 2 Corinthians 5. He calls your body a tent. See, if you went down to Walmart and bought you a brand new camping tent and decided, you know, I'm going to save the house payment and I'm going to save the uh, utility costs and I'm just going to live in this tent out in the woods. And when you went out there in the woods in that new tent, it's got, it's got yellow and red panels and it's really sturdy and, and you get in it and you get you one of those little stoves to stay warm in the winter. But you start out there a few years and the first thing that'll happen is the colors will start fading. And then after the colors start fading, uh, the, uh, the seams will get loose and start to tear a little bit. And you stay out there long enough after the big old storm, the thing is just totally shredded and you just got to throw it away. Have you noticed that's kind of what's happening to your tent? I get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, who is that guy? <laughs> Do you know why at your 50th high school reunion you wear name tags? <laughs> because you're unrecognizable. Nobody knows who you are anymore. You got to tell them who you are. We're fading. And, uh, but the scripture is saying that the Lord is going to resurrect us from the dead. I had a member of our church. He died many years ago. He was a, really a, a Southern, famous a Southern Baptist evangelist. His name is Angel Martinez. And Angel would uh, preach a sermon on heaven. And, and his theory was is that we'll all be 33 years old in heaven, just like Jesus when he resurrected from the dead. I don't know if that's true, but I think it'll be the best day we ever had in a new body, a resurrected being. And so we should always be abounding in the work of the Lord and staying focused on this purpose as disciples of Jesus and not erratic and scatterbrained, but focused because this is what is really, really coming. It's not maybe coming. It's not maybe coming. It's really, really coming. Your death is coming, and your resurrection is coming. And it'll be real. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around. But that's why this little word, therefore, in the passage is so important. He's saying, therefore, because of this, 
because of what's coming, let's stay focused in this life and following Christ. Look, look at the next slide. Uh, I think it's for many of us time to raise the bar. You know what raising the bar is, don't you? Raising the bar is setting the challenge out there a little bit stronger for us. We need, we need to raise the bar. The low bar is easy. It's not a challenge. We need to raise the bar on faithfulness. We need to analyze our lives and see if we need to raise the bar on being a disciple of Jesus. I, I've told our church for years, you need to get yourself in the understanding that the, the key identity that you have is not Razorback. The key identity you have is disciple of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and see ourselves and say, even out loud if we knew to from time to time, I am a disciple, a follower, a devoted, devout follower of Jesus Christ. It's easy to forget that. But when we think about the motivation of what God has for us, that therefore picks me up. I don't know about you, that picks me up. We need to raise the bar on being a disciple. It's a great time in history to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's just a great time in history to be a disciple. We say, I, just, you know, think about this for a second. Really, uh, we see the, the statistical decline of Christianity in our culture. And if you read anything about it, you read in any of the magazines, or you listen to a denominational guy, or you listen to one of us preachers, you'll hear us talking about the demise of Christianity. Fewer people going to church. Listen, I want you to know something. Uh, a lot of those folks that have been going to church for a lot of those years really weren't in it anyway. They were just cultural Christians. They were just cultural Christians. Uh, one of the gurus of church uh, development had uh, developed a, a little uh, schematic about Christians in the church, and COVID has proved it. He says there's three kinds of Christians. First, there's a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian is someone who says, I'm a Christian, and if, if they had, they were filling out a form, and they said, Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, or he'd check the Christian box. I mean, he, he's got some grandpappy that used to be a Bible preacher or something where, but he, he, he's a cultural Christian. Then the second group of people are what uh, we call congregational Christians. They're connected to a congregation. Uh, they may only show up at Easter, Christmas, weddings, or a family funeral, but they're congregational. And then the third is the convictional Christian. I follow Jesus because he's the Lord of glory, the Savior of my soul, my Redeemer, and my only hope. I'm a convictional Christian. Now, when you get some pressure going on, the secularism that we're talking about in our time, you spread a little layer of COVID on there, and what happens? People, it, 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 you may have experienced it in your church. Churches everywhere are experiencing this right now. COVID folks are just disappearing. It's an excuse to not connect to the congregation anymore. Now, they'll be back for the funeral, but they're every other week or every five weeks or whatever, that's pretty well gone away because they're congregationally connected. They're not convictional Christians. They don't follow the Lord, have a deep devotion to him. The, the, kind of the way to look at it is uh, it's kind of like uh, watching a football game. Uh, do you know that if you play in a football game, you have a totally different 
perspective than the guy sitting in the stands. Have you ever sat in your house and asked yourself, why did the coach call that play? Why did... I don't understand. Why did, why did that player do that? Why did he throw that there? Why, why did he run over there? Why did he let that guy do this? Well, you know what? Sitting in a recliner or on row 56 at the stadium is a lot different than getting the fire knocked out of you every few minutes. They say running backs in the NFL, it's like a good running back who has several carries. It's like he's been in three, literally in three car accidents during that game. The same kind of impact on his body in that ball game. And so in the Christian life, it's a lot more comfortable in the stands than getting out of the stands and getting involved on the field of play in the life of the church, in the purposes of Christ, and seeing that whether you realize it or not, whether you realize it or not, God has a calling on your life. It's not necessarily called you to preach or called you to missions. He's got a calling on your life. You'll normally find that calling as you consider the spiritual gifts to this that the Holy Spirit gives us. He has a calling for us. Let's go on. The low bar is comfortable and doesn't cost you anything. A lot of Christians today are prisoners of war to the devil, to the culture. A lot of Christians in our time today are absent without leave. They've just rebelliously gone out on their own. A lot of Christians today are missing in action. They're just not there anymore. Therefore, let's go to the next slide. I like this. I got this from Francis Chan. I have to give him credit for it. You know, the Lord says, why do you call me Lord? You don't do the things I, I, I command you. Well, why, why do you call me Lord? You don't do the things I say you do. And Francis Chan tells a story about, uh, uh, it's an illustration, about a father who tells his daughters, go clean up your room. So she goes back in the back of the house, and she comes out, and she announces, Daddy, I've memorized it. Clean up your room. I memorized your command. I got it. So he goes and checks, and nothing's happened. And she comes back later and says, Daddy, I memorized what you told me in Greek. And then she just spoke out what it says in Greek. Kind of sounds like a Bible study class, doesn't it? She hadn't cleaned up her room yet. And then what happens is, is, is uh, she says, she's leaving. She said, where is she going? She said, I'm going to a study group on how to clean up and what it would be like if we cleaned up our rooms. Well, some of you know that as a reality in your life about trying to get somebody to do something. Jesus said, why do, you, why do you call me Lord? And you don't respond to the calling that I have on your life. Why do you call me Lord and compromise? Why do you call me Lord and you side more with the secular culture than you do with me. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus said in the sixth chapter of Luke, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things I say? I want to encourage you tonight to think about lifting the bar on your Christian life. I know for some of you, it's almost unimaginable. Boy, preacher, I'm busy. Uh, boy, preacher, I'm tired. Boy, preacher, I got so much on my plate. 
But when you think about what God says that he has for you, then the Apostle Paul says, therefore, respond to that with steadfastness, with great energy in your life. This is a hard time, but it's an opportunity to be faithful and purposeful. And don't just sit and curse the darkness. Don't just sit and curse the darkness. I do that sometimes. You ever just sit around and curse the darkness? Normally I'm watching Fox News when I do that. What are those bozos doing? What are those knuckleheads up to? Why this? Why that? And I've done a little darkness cursing myself. But it's way more important for us to be salt and light in the world than to curse the darkness. We got to think about engaging our lives in the life of God's kingdom and the purpose he has for you. And you might say, well, Brother Dale, I, I do this and I do that. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you when you lay your head down on the pillow night to think about, do I need to raise the bar on my life? Let me, let me, let me ask, I want to encourage you to ask yourself some questions. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't mean in some emotional capacity. I mean in an actual capacity where the Lord fills your life. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit of God? You know what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God? Um, at my house, uh, my wife is immaculate, so I'm serious. She's immaculate. When my, I had sons at home, we had to wait for her to go to bed so we could mess the house up. I mean, she's immaculate. But, you know, if someone came over to your house, some of you have a formal living room. Now, back in the den, there may be some plates and glasses on the coffee table, on the side tables from last night's watching the football games and some stale popcorn and some other stuff, some newspapers strewn around on the floor and some comforters all over the place and the pillows knocked off the couch and you don't want anybody going back there and the kitchen's a little not what it ought to be. You don't want anybody going there. So if someone were to arrive at your front door and ring the doorbell and you saw them, you'd say, hey, how you doing? And then you could usher them into the formal living room where no one ever goes, right? And it's all ready to go. And see, you don't want people seeing it. You, and, and if you brought them into the formal living room and set them down, and you said, make yourself at home. And they said, really? Yeah, make yourself at home. And they said, really? And said, yeah. So they pop up. And they start walking through your house. They go in the kitchen. Wow. Ooh, and look in the pantry. Whoa, yeah, I'm making myself at home, you know. Go in the bedroom, look in the drawers, you know. Man, you don't fold your underwear up very good. And they just go through everything, you know. They go through all, the, all over the house, into the utility room, everywhere. And they're making themselves at home, right? You really didn't want them to have that access, did you? You just wanted them to, you just wanted to say the thing, and they stay in the formal living room. A lot of us have done that with the Lord. We said, Holy Spirit, I want you in my life, but the only place I want you in my life is in the formal living room. Or, we said, Jesus, you can have access and lordship through the Holy Spirit in every room of my house. My relationships with my family room, my decision room, my, uh, my uh, rooms where the issues of life are played out. 
You can have it all, but Lord, there's one closet down there at the end of the hall, and I don't want you in that. There's a lock on it, and I'm not giving you permission. See, the filling of the Holy Spirit is the Lord's lordship and influence over every area of our life that we surrender to. Do you really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Actually, in Ephesians 5, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It doesn't read like Paul, the Apostle Paul didn't say, hey, this would be fun if you'd like to. Be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say that. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Surrender every area. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be holy? Do you want to pursue holiness? I'm not holiness is not uppityness. Holiness means I really belong to the Lord, and I give great energy to walking with him. So he's the Lord of my life. The resurrection is something that the Lord has provided for us, for a Savior who's resurrected from the dead, and the promise that he's going to resurrect you from the dead, and that's where it's going, and you've got all kinds of stuff going on in this life. You've got heartache. You're gripped with difficulties. You've got complexities. You've got family issues. You've got all kinds of stuff, but he says, therefore, be steadfast. Be immovable. Be engaged. Give yourself to what God wants you to give yourself to. Don't just sit there and curse the darkness. Be salt and light. Let's bow our heads in prayer just for a moment, okay? Let's just bow our heads. I would encourage you right there where you're sitting just to invite the Lord to speak to you. Say, Lord, whatever you want to say to me, I just want you to say it to me. And I can't cover all the bases, but there are things going on in your life that only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. Uh, there may be burdens in your life where really you need to trust your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to ask them to pray for you, to pray for you. You may have a burden about a prodigal in your family, and, and you would like for someone to pray for you about that prodigal, that situation that's breaking your heart, and you need to trust your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with you about that. Or maybe you have a struggle in your life that you need God's help with and you need to pray about that. I just encourage you to be submissive to the Lord tonight. And we're going to have a moment of invitation and the pastors are going to be here and God may be dealing with your life. You need prayer. You need encouragement. You want to make a rededication of your life. You want to make a recommitment of your life. There may be someone in here that for years you've known there's something wrong with your salvation experience. You really don't look forward to a resurrection because you're not even near certain that Christ is your Savior. And you'd like to come and respond tonight and ask the pastors for help to pray with you and receive Christ and settle that question. If you need to come, I encourage you to come. I'm going to turn this over to Aaron and let him lead us in these final moments this evening. Guys, if you would, just keep your eyes closed for just a moment. One of the things that we do when we have our eyes closed is we drop our guard. You don't have to pretend to be the rigid, sitting up straight, perfect Christian because nobody's looking at you. 
And in this moment, when, you're, when your eyes are closed, I'm not looking at you. Nobody's looking at you. It's just you and the Lord. And for some of us, that's one of the most uncomfortable places to be. But I'm going to ask you tonight, in lieu of the message, therefore, since it's an uncomfortable place to be, allow the Lord to search you. Let him see the ugliness and the blots, the blemishes, the uncertainty, the anxiety, the fear. Let him see the impure thoughts, the hatred, the dislike, and all of those things that you've stored up. I'm going to ask you, just coming off of Brother Dale's analogy about that locked closet, it's time to unlock it. If a flood came into our house, God forbid that happens, those floodwaters aren't going to be stopped by a locked door. They're going to reach in there and break the door open, and, and in their wake is going to be the biggest mess you ever saw. It's going to be muddied and, and, and filthy in there. And we think we've got it under control because we've got it stacked up neatly, and we've got it locked away where nobody can see it. But God knows what's in there, guys. He knows what's in your heart. It would be so much better if you willfully and willingly let the Lord into your life, if you would confess what's going on in your life, so that you don't have to stand on shaky ground or build anything in a floodplain that you ever have to worry about, but that you've got this stuff on a rock where we are immovable and steadfast. And we can have the Lord peer into our lives in nights like this where our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And yeah, there are things we still need to deal with, but we don't have to deal with the mountain of ugliness that's hidden back there because it's all confessed. You know, there is joy in repentance. There is peace in confession. And so, guys, I, I beg you, I pray with you tonight. Revival can't happen to this church. Maybe it can happen in one or two folks' lives, but it can't happen in this church unless we're willing as a body to lay it down here and to confess it and ask God to move. And whatever he needs to move in you, let him move it. Father, we ask, Lord, as, as your people sit here, as I sit here with my eyes closed, just search us and know us, Lord. No pretense. We're not pretending to be something we're not. All we are and all we have is by grace anyway. So, Lord, take the rest of the stuff, Lord God, that's keeping us from, from you. And we breathe in and we breathe out. And we breathe in and we breathe out. And God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we would just let you have it, Lord, I pray that we would experience the freedom that Paul spoke about, that Jesus promised, that we'd take the burdens and the yokes off. And man, they're yours. And we ask all of this tonight, Lord, making it our prayer in Jesus' name.